my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to the Make Ours Marvel podcast. This is episode one of the show where we are beginning our journey. Mike, are you sure you want to do this? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've only got about 40 or 50 years left of my life, but we could probably get through, you know, the 60s. At the 60s, yeah. <laughs> That's the best part anyway, right? I mean, it just right. goes downhill from there, so. Yeah, I mean, and the metals start changing, and, and I don't even know what comes after bronze anymore. Uh, I just call it modern or current, I think, which doesn't make much sense once you keep going, but oh well. But this is a podcast where we're going to be talking about the Marvel Universe, like all of it. Uh, all the spandex stuff, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by all of it, I don't necessarily mean length, because, you know, we're podcasters. We're going to podcast as long as we podcast until we stop podcasting. But as far as breadth, we'll cover, like, yes. every superhero-related issue of Marvel, starting with today's beginning issue, the Fantastic Four number one. That's right. So I think our goal is to try and keep the show weekly and do about an hour. So maybe some episodes we talk about a few comics, maybe some episodes we talk about a lot of comics. I think it just depends on whether we like the comics we're talking about. Right. Uh, I mean, I have some thoughts written down here, but who knows yeah. how long it'll take to actually talk about them. And so we're, um, we're our, our format is more time-oriented than um, – Right. Coverage oriented. So in that vein, though, let's start with uh, Fantastic Four number one is pretty much the starting point for the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in or released according to that awesome Mike's Amazing World of DC uh, website that all us podcasters love to pour over. It was theoretically released on August of 1961. Um, right. and, I had, and I had this idea. Um, instead of like, uh, you know, typing out this 12-paragraph synopsis and then reading it and boring everybody to tears. Here's something I'm going to uh, suggest that's going to put you on the spot. Can you, without looking at the book in front of you in whatever format you're reading it in, can you describe to me the plot of Fantastic Four number one in about two minutes or less? Oh. If someone asks if someone asks you, hey, John, what's Fantastic Four number one about? Okay, that's easy. I mean, I, 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 this particular issue is easy because I've read this like so many times. <laughs> right. Um, Okay, go. so four people are going on about their normal lives. There's a signal in the air. They all come together, and they're all strange. Turns out they went into space, broke the law, went into space, hit some cosmic rays, crashed back down to Earth, and they all got superpowers. And some of them were cool. Um, woman Susan Storm gets turned invisible. Kid brother Johnny Storm gets turned into fire. He can fly. Um, older pilot scientist dude Reed Richards gets turned all stretchy. And the uncool one, Ben Grimm, the grouchy friend who has a thing for Reed's girlfriend, gets turned into a horrible abomination of nature. And they go their separate ways. And now that Reed has flashed the signal, they all come back together. And turns out that somebody is tearing up cities and pulling them down into the earth. Um, they go to Monster Island. They fight the Mole Man who's been living down underground with all these creatures, and everything gets blown up at the end and our heroes fly away in a plane. Wow. I swear to you guys, I seriously just proposed that to him right now and he pulled that out. That was really good. (laughs) I was just thinking we could alternate doing that, and I am not going to do that nearly as well. (laughs) But that could be fun, too, not remembering what the plot was. so Right? Um, Yeah, so this is just – I mean, I've read this before, obviously. Um I assume every Marvel fan has at least perused this at one time or another. 
because this is, you know, this is it. This is the this is where it all began. So that's how it happened. Right. Um it it was it was an origin story that also has um a monster adventure tacked on. Right. So that was my biggest thing that I came out of this overall was that, you know, you, you hear that story like, um, you know, superheroes went out of fashion because some guy came along and said that superheroes make kids gay or something. And it turned, you know, the superhero world upside down. And then you only had like cheesy, like Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, you know, imaginary tales or romance tales. They stopped being violent. They stopped being fun. Well, there are fun in a different way, but – Different kind um, of fun, yeah. Different kind of fun. A more a more moral, kid-friendly fun. Um, and meanwhile, everybody else went to like romance comics and Western comics and monster anthologies. And that's kind of where Marvel was when DC decided to bring back superheroes. And then the story is like, you know, uh, the publisher heard that they were doing that and he wanted to do that. And Stan Lee wanted to do that. And so they create Fantastic Four number one. But when you read this, it's almost like they sort of did that. But they also kind of didn't. Yeah, because you're thinking along the same lines I am, that like this really feels like, in a lot of ways, another monster and horror story Ex- of the day, just feature length. Exactly. So on the one hand, they dedicate an entire title to them. It's not called like Fantastic Tales or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. where you have a bunch of different short stories from the Outer Limits or, you know, whatever. But And they call them the thing, Mr. Fantastic, Human Torch, Invisible Girl, the Fantastic Four. And they do the whole, we're going to dedicate our powers to helping mankind and all that stuff. But then everything else, like there's no secret identity. There's no spandex or uniforms or costumes or whatever you want to call them. Um, And yeah, they fight monsters. Right. Um, And and just this this storytelling, this comic has a freaky beginning. Yes. Um, Reed Richards is shadowy and sinister. There's this flare given. This woman turns invisible and starts like kind of terrorizing people. Um, the 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 thing, honestly, if you didn't put two and two together, we're just reading this through. The thing almost looks like or acts like the menace of the story. Yeah, like Reed Richards is calling all these people together. Meanwhile, this orange monster is terrorizing the town. Well, really, all three of them invisible. She invisible girl, right? Invisible girl. Yeah, she's not uh, a woman until like not woman yet. Invisible girl, Sue Storm, uh, her brother, the Human Torch, and thing all pretty much unnecessarily ruin New York, trying to like uh, meet up with Reed after he shoots off the flare gun to summon them all. Yeah, the torch even gets the army after him. they shoot missiles yeah. at him. Like because they all got to wherever they were. Like Sue Storm was what she was shopping, or no, she was at a tea party or something, mm-hmm. and the thing was shopping. In a trench coat and fedora, and Johnny Storm was working on his cars, and they all got there without doing any harm to anybody. But then all of a sudden, Mister Fantastic's like, "Hey, you guys got to come meet me," and they all just power up and blow through the city. You know, cops are shooting at him. Ben Grimm is like punching through the streets, and Sue Storm is causing car accidents, and Human Torch is like, "Yeah, like you said, the army's after him, and he's melting planes that probably cost millions of dollars." and Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, you guys, you could have just taken cabs and, and <laughs> it would have been fine. Said, oh, but I at the same time, that is how you introduce these guys because, you know, he's not doing this just for fun. He's doing this to show us what their powers are and they're amazing. And now we're all going, who are these people? And, you know, how did they get this way? I um, I almost want to talk about the uh, 
the Bible thing that you found and some of its, you know, character portraits and how they differ from this. Because we yeah. started with The Invisible Girl. And I was recently watching that documentary that uh, was made called Chris Claremont's X-Men. And some of the women they interviewed mentioned how comics females are always girls and never women. Right. And Chris Claremont really did a lot to start changing the treatment of women in comics, at least as far as Marvel comics go. Right. Yeah. I don't know when she becomes Invisible Woman, but certainly not yet. Right. Um, But I do have to say, I don't know, maybe not so much this issue, but just in general, I've always thought Sue Storm was a a fairly strong female character. One of my favorites, really. Um, Like, she's always the one that's, like, holding it together. Everyone else is – all the boys are just, like, fighting at a frat party or whatever. And Mm -hmm. she's kind of like the mother of this crazy group that can't get along. Um, Yeah. er In early days, she's the mom in the sense of corralling. I think later on she starts to feel like the mom in the sense of, like, the heart. Right. Of the team, the, the, the emotional center. And literally becomes a mom later, but we'll get to right. that, you know, when we're 90. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so those that, uh, what did you call it? The Bible? I can't remember what issue. I should have wrote that down. 350 something or other. I guess they reprinted Stanley's like original idea for Fantastic Four number one. Um, the plot that maybe he emailed to, not <laughs> email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The plot no. that he wrote down and. Sent by carrier pigeon to Jack Kirby. <laughs> right. And in there, they there's this big, long bit about how he wanted the thing to be, like, not a hero at all. And not just because his looks aren't heroic and he doesn't want to be the thing, mm-hmm. but more so even, like, his values aren't to help the world. The only reason he's in the Fantastic Four is because of Sue and he's going to sabotage them from time to time or, you know, not cooperate with their heroic endeavors. It's like, Wow. That was very interesting. And so far in this first issue, yeah, he is kind of that way. And him having a thing for Sue is only hinted at here. It's right. spelled out in detail in the Bible. And it's brought back in Ultimate Fantastic Four decades later. I don't know. I don't, I don't know enough about Fantastic Four history past the Kirby and Lee days to know if Ben having a thing for Sue is a thing that like they ever talk about later. Yeah, I didn't even remember that he did have a thing for her. Um, Although maybe it's why he has a thing for Alicia, since Alicia looks just like Susan later. But we'll talk about that in a few episodes. <laughs> well, everybody looks like everybody in these things. <laughs> but while we're talking about powers... Um, oh, real quick, before we leave the thing, though, I just wanted to say, go like, going back to the whole the thing that... When I was reading this, you know, we see him in the store. He's really grouchy, really grumbly. Whenever, he, whenever the store guy mentions the Fantastic Four words in the air, he says, So, the time has come. And his yeah. face isn't in the list of characters at the beginning. You have a little, like, um, uh, curios of everyone's face on the first page. Right. Ben Grimm is shown, but we don't know that that's the thing. Correct. And then we see him at the last panel before the origin goes in. So up until that last panel where he's back in his coat and glasses, um, I was feeling like the thing could actually be the monster of the story. Yeah. Well, that's what, um, you know, if we're talking about the powers, like, I was thinking about where are these powers inspired from? And clearly the thing is just straight up what Marvel's already doing, you know, and like Mm -hmm. in their anthology books about monsters. I mean, he looks totally like he could be one of the villains in any of those stories. He'd be Grog from Grog World. Right. In fact, he's much uglier in these first issues than he becomes later. Like we know him. There's a panel in issue four I was looking at. I was like, oh my God, that guy's aggressive. We know him as like the ever loving blue eyed thing, but he doesn't even have eyes. 
in these uh, mm-hmm. issues. So he really is like this horrible. He's not like a he's not like a cute monster that Kirby was good at designing. You know, make him make him a handsome monster. You know, um, didn't quite get there yet. But I was also the, thinking. Um, let's. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But how about um, Invisible Woman? Where do, where do her powers come from? If we're talking 1961. Okay, so I was trying to think. Because in the Bible, he says, "Let's make her turn invisible," but like she can't turn back. Oh, yeah. And that feels very Doom Patrol. Like, or, oh, did um, Doom Patrol have an invisible person? Yeah. Well, the uh, the woman in that. Well, the whole thing about Doom Patrol is that, like, they couldn't pass in society. They were all outcasts right. because their powers made them funky. Um, and I forget what, why the woman had that problem, because the woman seemed pretty just fine to me. Um, but They're older the than idea, Fantastic Four? No, they oh. – because Doom Patrol hits almost five minutes within the time that X-Men 1 hits. Oh. And there's a lot of discussion over which one really had the idea first and would, did the other one possibly know about it and get inspired by – you know, it's one of those – comics debates that no one really knows the answer to. Um, But the idea of a woman being turned invisible and not being able to exist in real life is freaky and cool. And it comes from the invisible man, I would guess, right? That's probably Mm -hmm. a 50s book, something like that. It's H.G. Wells. uh, There was a movie in the 50s, but the book goes back to the 19th century. Of course. Well, I only care about movies. I don't read. Um, (laughs) um, And then Plastic plastic Man, see, I already – I already trumped myself. Mr. Fantastic, uh, obviously Plastic Man, but then apparently Elongated Man came out a year before this book, too, in Flash or something. Uh, Did or he back- really? I knew he was a Flash comics backup, uh, or but I didn't black- he was before yeah. this issue. Yeah, so it's like there's Marvel ripping that off. And by the way, I love Marvel. I'm a super Marvel zombie, but I'm I'm also going to like find every time they steal from DC because I kind of think that's funny. But Yeah. Yeah, we can we can love it and still poke, uh, point out the flaws. Yeah. Um, so I'm just I, I just not that I don't believe you. I just hadn't realized that. So I'm double checking the dates. 1960 February was when Flash yes. 112 hit the stand. So one year. Okay. Before this or a little less than that, but a year, a year and a half. A year so and the half, Plastic right? Man goes back to 1940. Elongated Man goes back a year and a half. And now this Mr. Fantastic comes along. No wonder people were saying they were like, uh, Marvel was being a copycat. Yeah. And then they got Human Torch, which we could all say, well, that was Marvel's. You know, there was a Human Torch mm-hmm. in the Golden Age. But also, I read that one of the JLA villains in the first JLA story turned to fire. So I don't know if that's people just being super hard on Marvel or if there's something to that also. But. We can give that to them. Yeah. One of the things that like um, Marvel had their stable of heroes from, you know, the forties and the human torch was one of their three main catches. Yeah. And when they tried to revive their heroes in 1954, 1956, somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. um, Cap, Submariner and human torch all got their own series again for like six months before it died on the vine. So throwing one of those old ideas into the new team Kind of makes sense. Like the, yeah. it's obviously not the same character at no, all. No, but the visuals are cool. But neither is you know Barry Allen or Hal Jordan. So they're kind of taking a page right. from that. It's like they had Golden Age characters and they're revamping them into something more modern. Mm-hmm. And then overall, Fantastic Four. I just want to say, and I have, I am no expert on this because I've never read a single issue of the Challengers of the Unknown. <laughs> the uh, same note, though. Go ahead. But uh, apparently, there's. A lot of similarity, and that was a Kirby project. 
or he was at least the artist on the project when it first came out in 58 or something like that. And right. if you Google Challengers of the Unknown Space Fantastic Four, the first issue, first website that comes up says Challengers of the Unknown equals the Fantastic Four. And whoever wrote that site goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on about all the similarities. I gave up about halfway. It's a kind of an interesting read, though. If you care about that sort of thing, I would recommend it. But there's definitely some similarities. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's Major some really similar things here. The 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 four curios of the four mm-hmm. characters was done on a house ad. Wow. Yep. Now, if you are reading the origin story and you change their blue space jumpsuits to purple, yep. they are the chat. Like suddenly, yep. visually, this is the challengers. Yep. Um. So Kirby is definitely channeling his previous ideas here. Making Ben look so different and giving them superpowers does immediately set them apart. Mm-hmm. But, but then, but then the challengers deny. get superpowers that are just like those. So <laughs> just not the first issue. Do the challengers have powers? I think at least one of them has all four powers or they all have a power. I'm not sure. But the point was they were making them earth, wind, fire, and flame or earth, wind, mm-hmm. fire, and water. And the Fantastic Four is sort of, you know, obviously Johnny is fire and Ben is earth. And you could argue that Reed is water because he's sort of, you know, he's like flexible, I guess. And and Sue could be air. I don't know because she turns invisible. But Oh, crap. I just realized my comiXology digital reprint is recolored. They are wearing purple jumpsuits throughout this issue. Are they? Because I'm not reading it that way. Let me see. In the look at the origin story and look at when they go to Monster Island. Well, it's blue on mine too, so I'm not sure where this came from. Oh, okay. But well, I look. I was looking at the Zach site page. Maybe okay. he recolored it. Maybe he recolored know. it to, to make it to cheat and make a point. Um, but yeah, in his page, they're all wearing purple jumpsuits. Anyways, doesn't matter. The point no. is, there are similarities. Yes. Um, I was reading through because I was trying to thinking about like the narrative of the characters and the story that's mm-hmm. like going on in their world. And I get the impression that like after the origin, but before the opening events of this story, some time has passed. Now you would, you would think, cause they Reed sure don't says, explain it. Yeah. Reed says, we've got to do some stuff to help mankind. But then I feel like they all go their separate ways. And Reed says, I called you together cause I have some pictures to show you. And whenever right. they're like, living their lives, doing their thing, the flare goes up, they're all kind of surprised. They're ready, but they're also kind of surprised and they yeah. weren't expecting it. Um, like they don't live together. They don't live together, except for Susan and Johnny, probably. Or, um, or Reed, but no, this is the 60s, so probably not. Well, see, that's the other thing, is that they say in the origin story that Susan and Reed are engaged, but right. if he just turned them all into freaks... And some time has passed. That could be the answer to the great disappearing engagement. Because oh. after that one mention, they're never mentioned as engaged again. And they get engaged later. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. Okay. So they could have broken it off as a result of the crash. And then they reform and reforge that bond. That makes sense to me. I mean, you made my brother turn on fire, Reed. Yeah. <laughs> and now Ben can never live a normal life. We have issues. I'm going. <laughs> you know, what's funny is Ben is, you know, historically and in this issue as well, so mad at Reed for, I guess, being irresponsible enough to jump the gun and go to space or try to go to space. And he didn't want to. But really, it was Sue that convinced him to go. She used her, like, 
you know, feminine ways to, to, to stick him where, you know, he loves her and he agreed to do it and he's never blamed her for it. He never does blame her. Not that I've ever seen. Yeah. You're right. She says, we've got to take the chance. He come on, come on, Ben. Don't be a coward. Do it for me if you love me. Oh, she didn't say that, yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah, well, she appeals Same to his idea. patriotism and she appeals to his, like, you know, machismo. Exactly. So, oh, so speaking of that, that was another thing that bothered me is they don't say, like, we need to get to the moon first or Mars or we just need to get to the stars is their, mm-hmm. big, is their big thing. And so I had to look this up because I'm not great with history, but apparently Russia had already been to the stars by this point. Uh the commies beat us. And by us, I mean us Americans because I'm an American. Um, so it's like, well, why why is he so hell-bent on getting to the stars, you know, and and uh, jumping the gun and not going through the proper channels, cutting through the red tape, sneaking onto the airbase with people who aren't qualified and going into space just to see the stars that have already been seen. Um, but then it I found – make a lot of sense. Then I, I found – that know, Bible. Yeah, that Bible. And there, there was a note like – Geez, by the time this comes out, Russia will probably be on Mars, so we better be vague about it. Yeah. And so they're vague, which I think you're right, is a detriment to the story. Yeah. At least it's historical context. Flying to the moon even would have been a good you know, right. show. Yeah. Because we ha- we don't get to the moon until 1969. It turns out the Fantastic Four had a hand in that. We'll find that out when we get there. Um, so anyway, they all get together and they go to you know Strange Tales Island full of crazy three-headed monsters that you know, exist in the water or in the mountains or whatever. And they meet Marvel's first villain, the Fantastic Four's first villain, the Mole Man. The Mole Man. I love Monster Isle. I love how it has Ben Grimm's face. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you found an island that looked just like me and named it Monster Island? Yeah. Great. F you. (laughs) Who the heck carved that? (laughs) Right? And on the page before that, I always love the little panel of Mole Man teeny tiny mole man of the big giganto green monster yeah but what's funny is like when he's actually introduced i put a little note there that said meh because it was like wasn't all that exciting of a panel in my opinion i don't know and as for me i'm the mole man and he's just kind of standing there he is very non like the monsters in this story are much more impressive than the mole man is absolutely like they i don't even know if he was even necessary because at the end of the day they still had to defeat the monsters and if you notice but, what's but, weird – oh, go ahead. But but Mikey has a valley of diamonds. I'm sure that will definitely yes. be useful in future stories. Okay, probably. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's just like in there for no reason. The reason you can't see is you're blinded by the valley of diamonds. Yeah. And you never see the valley of diamonds again. It doesn't matter. Well, maybe that's how he paid for all these uh, – uh, you know, this pimp house that he lives in. Oh, that's true. But I don't know. And his yeah. cool cape and those nifty glasses. He bought them with diamonds. Yeah. yeah, he must have. I don't know. But anyway, his origin is like, you know, the penguin or something. Everybody's mean to him, I guess. I can't even remember what his origin is. He decides the world sucks and he goes exploring and he finds the cave full of monsters and decides somehow, it doesn't really explain how, but he can control them and he's going to use them to, you know, ruin the world that sucks. And he says, I found it. It's the Earth's center. And I was oh. The, the the center of the earth is actually like 4,000 miles down. I have the feeling he didn't quite make it that far. No. This might just be like the earth's slightly underneath the skin. Especially since he'd probably melt, I would think, but I don't know. They flew through the, they swam through the planet's core in the Phantom Menace. You never know what's really down there until you get there. That just big fish that eat other big fish, yeah. 
Right. <laughs> I mastered the creatures down here and made them do my bidding. Now, I learned just tonight while I was looking up stuff about the monster we're going to talk about in issue four. The monsters in this island are actually deviant mutates. The okay. deviants from Jack Kirby's uh, Eternals mythology that he spins in the 70s. So they're actually used to doing the bidding of humanoids. Oh, well, that was one thing I was going to say is, you know, this origin has been retconned and retconned and readdressed and, and, uh, you know, smidged here and smudged there to make it have Mm -hmm. it make sense. This is one of those origins that aren't going to, isn't going to stand up in a movie if you do it straight, you know? Right. So that's one, that's one answer someone came up with. Which I kind of dig, you know, yeah. I, I like the idea that, you know, these are just random monsters. They've managed to fit them somehow into the larger Marvel universe. Yeah. I like when things are cohesive. So mm-hmm. we'll get there eventually. Um, but yeah, so he splits them all up and what? They have to fight monsters and they fight more monsters. Sue turns invisible and the other guys fight monsters. And then like somewhere along the way, they grab the mole man and take them with him as the monsters chase them out of the caves. But then I guess Jack Kirby forgot to keep drawing the Mole Man because the last panel is like, where's the Mole Man? Oh, I just left him. And so the Mole Man and the monsters are all encaved into a mountain, and the Fantastic Four fly away. It's kind of vicious, though. Like, he's yeah. holding the Mole Man, and they're running through. And at some at some point, Reed has the mental process. You know what? I'm just going to leave him. He's never going to hurt anyone again. Just gonna leave him here in the island. I mean, I guess if he can't, if they can't get out, he's harmless, right? Right. (laughs) Of course, he'll come back. We know that, but right. um, Um, And isn't even though he blew up Monster Island, isn't Monster Island also a thing that exists later? I feel like that does. Oh, it has to. Did they blow it up? Blow it up? Oh yeah. That's the implication. He's destroyed the entire isle, sealing himself below forever. It's best that way. There was no place for him in our world, so I just left him to die. The Mole Man did that? Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? So that all happens so fast. Like they, I feel like they ran out of pages. Yeah, they just pop out of the thing, and they says, where's the Mole Man? I left him. And the next panel is, oh, he blew up the island. And then the next panel is, well, we'll never see him again. Seriously, though, if you read page 23 and page 24, it feels like we still have like three pages at least left in the story. Turn to yeah. page 25, and bam, it's the end. Yeah. So I think this is where the whole... Uh, Marvel way sometimes maybe especially in the beginning doesn't gel like I have a feeling Stanley did a lot of and then just draw this and I'll write the dialogue in later you know and then sometimes they got to ham fist that stuff in there right um, and in that Bible he's very specific about page counts and um, you know all these early issues are divided up into chapters and the chapters have pretty consistent page counts and if you read issues of amazing adventures and tales to astonish their stories go and like there are three-page stories, there are five-page stories, there are six-page stories, and there's a format they follow each issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the first uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one follows a similar format when it breaks the first story with John Jameson into chapters. Um, the chapters seem unnecessary, and they seem unnecessary a lot of time in Fantastic Four, but they're following that old you know, page-length format. So here I feel like as they're feeling out this first issue, maybe they were going to do this over a couple of issues and just have like half of the comic and they could have taken more time with the story. And then they just didn't. Yeah. They really packed. I mean, I feel like is the origin, does the origin share the story with the whole destroy New York to get together thing? Or is that a separate story? Um, so let's see. They rampage through New York for eight pages. That could be a story. 
And then the origin is nine through 13. That's the five pages. That's a story. And then Fantastic Four meet the Mole Man, 14, 15, 16. That's a story. Yeah, but see, the flashback isn't its own dedicated story. So that's what's really funny to me. Like, they could have really stretched that out more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions there. I mean, I don't want to diss on this book. I enjoyed it. It's fun. It's Fantastic Four number one, you know. But there are things like, you know, why did he bring his fiance and her brother? That kind of thing. And you know, there's Reed gonna- Richards' decision making is so questionable in this. Well, it their excuse was Sue would never let her fiance go into space without her. So there's a dedicated woman for you. And then dedicated brother says, and I'm not going to let my sister go anywhere without me. So that's the entire reasoning behind these non-astronauts going into space. And uh, how old is he in the Bible? 17, 18? Remember. Oh, yeah. He must be young because he's going to be like the voice of the kids. You can tell already because he's into cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got friends that think he's cool. And yeah. So he's probably still a teenager. So as we exit our first adventure of the Fantastic Four, we've seen how Reed Richards' arrogance and recklessness forever change the lives of himself and three people he cares about, or at least two people he cares about and a little brother. And in Ben's case, I think shattered his life is a better phrase. So they go their separate ways, but they came back together to fight a threat. And theoretically, there's nothing that necessarily requires them to continue existing in the same space. But as we go into the next issue, they have continued their lives together, and they've actually found a place to live away from the city. Yes. Um, any other, anything else you want to say about this first issue, that our, our first chapter in this journey? Well, I just want to uh, – we talked about how it's kind of – they're kind of dipping their toe in the water. And they mm-hmm. sort of made a superhero comic, but they also kind of didn't. And I read into that because it was bothering me so much. Um, apparently, Marvel and DC were being printed by the same company at this time. Right. And At least the same distribution company, yeah. Right. National something or other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this was like bailing out Marvel. So they were like being mean to them and saying you could only have so many titles per month. And all that. they were putting restrictions on them. Not DC. You know, DC – you're our buddy, you're our pal. Marvel, we'll throw you a bone, but don't get cocky, right? Right. And so part of why this is masked as a monster is because they were worried if they flat out just had the Fantastic Four in four colorful outfits with masks and stuff that this printing company would say, you know, we're dumping you because we don't want you to compete with DC. We like DC. Uh. So they're like, let's just sneak this in. Let's call it Fantastic Four. They won't really read this. You know, and it just looks like a monster, just like everything else we've done. And then you'll see that they keep pushing the boundaries with each issue until it gets popular enough to where it's like, well, now you can't get rid of us because we have a fan base. And, you know, at least that's what I read. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It also makes me wonder if there was another title, a bi-monthly title that ended to make room for this. There must have been. Looking at the other titles they were publishing, I don't see one. Well, this isn't monthly for one thing. No, it's bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Love romances, teenage romance, life with Millie. Um, any of those might have ended. I just don't know because I know nothing about those comics. Kathy. I think Kathy ended to make room for Spider-Man. No, Linda Carter's student nurse ended to make room for Spider-Man. Well, my research is only, you know, half good. I didn't actually figure out what they dumped, and I have no idea how many titles a month they were allotted. I think I read eight, oh, yeah. but I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know either. Just random, random wonderings. But it kind of makes sense. Like it totally looks like a superhero comic masked into a Strange Tales monster uh, look. 
And the second issue continues that same mm-hmm. vein. Yes. It looks like a monster comic. Teenage Romance. Teenage Romance ended. Its last issue was 1962, there January. There you go. So, um, well, uh, well, by 1962, January, they're bringing the Hulk into play. Oh, so, 62. That's too late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. But it ended. Teenage Romance ended just after the Fantastic Four started. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really matter that much. No. Someone will write in. Someone someone who really loves the Fantastic Four will write in and tell us all about it. Hey, listeners. What's your email address, Mike? It's podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. Podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. That sounds like a great email address. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making that happen. No problem. That was really easy. Yeah. Okay. Let's, you want to move on to uh, Fantastic Four number two? Yeah. Do you want to do the whole... Um, make me synopsize off the fly thing, or do you want to try I, it this time? No, I, I have to try it now, and I'm really regretting this whole thing that I came up with because I'm already thinking I can't remember what this issue is about. So, okay, well, I'll do the easy part. It came out at the end of September, like around the 28th, okay. 1961. Okay, and what's it about, Mike? <laughs> so, <laughs> it opens with the Fantastic Four. I'm not looking. I swear, opens with the Fantastic Four doing nefarious things. Like I think the thing. Busts down some sort of like Navy base or something like that. And Sue, Sue Richards is like stealing stuff. And everybody's just like, oh my God, the Fantastic Four are criminals now. We've trusted them for a whole, one whole issue and now they're criminals. And, but it turns out that wasn't the Fantastic Four. It was these green, uh, frog looking guys called Scrolls. And they were just pretending to have Fantastic Four powers. Really, they're shapeshifters. So for the Invisible Woman, they were shrinking really fast. Uh, to make it look like you turn invisible, um, I think the thing you could look like the thing, but then he had like some pneumatic stuff in his arms to make himself strong, and there's like a jackpack for a fire and blah blah blah. So meanwhile, the Fantastic Four, the real deal, head off into this cabin that they own to hide out because they're criminals now, and they wonder what they should do. And the thing and Johnny start fighting for no reason, and then the army shows up and says, "Hey, we're going to arrest you." and the Fantastic Four say, oh, no, no, we won't fight the army. There's too many of you. So they allow themselves to get arrested. They all get put in separate cells. And then they use their awesome powers to escape those cells and escape the army. Um, and then Johnny has this idea where he'll do something bad and hope the scrolls just show up as the Fantastic Four to, like, bring him back to their lair. So he does something bad. I think he, like, melts a billion-dollar rocket of the armies or something like that. And, uh, questionable idea to say the least. Yes. And oddly three out of four scrolls show up. The one not being Johnny storm stayed at home. And they all think the three scrolls think that that Johnny storm that just blew up the rocket is their Johnny storm. So they say, Hey, get in the car and let's go home. And they go home and the Johnny storm that's fake. That's at home watching TV goes, Hey, that's not me. I'm me. And then they all try and beat him up. And then, of course, the other Fantastic Four show up because that was the whole point. And they find the lair and they beat the scrolls up. And then the scrolls are like, hey, man, we don't, we just came down here to like see what Earth is capable of, whether we should destroy it or not. And so Reed Richards goes, okay, well, you know what we ought to do? Let's go up to your mothership. So they go up to the mothership and they pretend to be the scrolls in Fantastic Four shape. And they talk to the King Scroll and they show him a comic 
or three of like strange tales and whatever else journey into mystery or something. And they're like, look at this is what's on earth. These big monsters that are wrecking everything. This is what's on earth. You cannot possibly beat this. And so the King scroll guy says, Oh yeah, I totally can't beat that. Let's get out of here. And they all leave and they leave behind three of the scrolls. Uh, and then there's this unnecessary fight where the army tries to like arrest the fantastic four again, but then they go, no, look, here's who you really should arrest. And then they fight the scrolls and they win. And the scrolls are like, man, don't kill us. We don't even like being scrolls. And so Reed Richards comes up with this pacifist idea of making them shapeshift into cows and then hypnotizing them into thinking they really are cows. And then they leave them in a field. The end. All right. How was that? That was I don't think I good. missed anything. Yeah. We'll talk more about the three out of four scrolls thing, but all four yes. scrolls did get left behind. It's oh. just we only see three of them at the end of the story. The story only addresses three of them. I might disagree yeah. with you there, but let's wait till we get to that. Okay, cool. Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, disagreeing is fun. But anyway, so I want to talk about the cover of this one because I kind of hate it. <laughs> okay. Um, I would almost say, like, if this is Kirby, and I think it's supposed to be, this is, like, my least favorite Kirby cover I've ever seen him do, probably. Uh, it's just so, like, I mean, not to get too into art, but, like, the camera's just straight, straight on, you know, right at the horizon line. And, and Reed Richards is just kind of standing there with his arms stretching through the window. And Sue Storm is standing in this weird, awkward position. And her hand is completely wrapped around this vase that it couldn't possibly completely wrap around. And like three of the scrolls all have their back to us. And Johnny can barely see the, barely yeah, see their faces. Right. And Johnny's on the floor. Um, and he looks like he's out of perspective or something. Like if he stood up, I don't think. I think he'd be like taller than Ben or something. I don't know. It just looks weird and it's boring mm -hmm. and it's yellow. Um, Very yellow. And I just don't like it compared to the first one, which we forgot to kind of mention has probably been one of the most copied covers of all time or homaged mm -hmm. covers of all time with Marvel. Anyway, um, the second one is just completely forgettable. And I guess I don't even remember ever seeing it before. So maybe that's why. Yeah. I think the thing looks good as being like a, a, a gross monster. Mm hmm. Um, but you're right. Everything else about this cover is pretty um, bleh. Yeah. And the fact anyway. that we hardly see what the scrolls look like other than their pointy ears. Yes. Anyway. Um, what's in a cover? But yeah. So scrolls. Scrolls are a huge thing. Although at this time, it really does feel like Tales to Astonish number 29. Totally. Something. It's still just aliens. Right. And they uh, look weird. Monster superheroes fighting monster aliens. They look a lot different than scrolls end up looking, I think. Like their eyes are um, swirly mm -hmm. or something, and it seems like their ears ears to head ratio is much bigger. When I call them frogs, they really, to me, kind of do look like frogs more than um, – like eventually they look more humanoid with just like, uh, you know, blocky chins kind of. Right. These like actually look On the look cover, like, they look kind of fishy. On the yeah. Inside, they look more froggy. Fishy and um, froggy. They look the like golem. The distinguishing characteristic is the um, rumpled chin, the Thanos chin that they have mm -hmm. going on. <laughs> the and Thanos the, chin, and yes. the pointy ears. That's what I was trying to come up with. That's perfect. The Thanos chin. Right. Yes. Those two characteristics, pointy chin, green skin, Thanos chin. Mm -hmm. Sorry, pointy ears, green skin, and Thanos chin. Those stick. But other than that, they do change. These are, you're right, like Gollum. These are small. You expect them to be sniveling. Yes. Like hunched over and looking up at you at an angle because yes. they can't look at you straight on. Yeah, they don't um, have like the whole muscular six-pack thing going on like they will later. Right. But anyway. 
Well, once the super scroll happens, they all want to be super scrolls. And so they start taking steroids. I mean, if I could shape change, I'd certainly have a six pack all day long, but. Right. A keg holds more. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's what I have right now. Yeah. So opening up the thing being wantonly destructive is actually really believable for me. Yeah. I mean, I know he's a fake, but the actual thing from the first issue, I would not be surprised to see him do this at the beginning of the second issue. Right. He's just pissed off about something. So he's going to go tear up an oil rig or whatever it is in the, in the um, a lonely Texas tower. I guess it means it is an oil rig. Although it is kind of funny to, you know, you have the one issue to establish your characters, which I could argue you didn't really even do a hugely great job at because there's not a lot of characterization going in Fantastic Four number mm-hmm. one, other than the thing being a jerk. Um, and then so right with issue number two, let's make them fake and let's make you go, oh my gosh, they're actually bad guys. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, not to get all trekky, but uh, was it TNG's, was it Naked Now? Or whatever. I was thinking the exact same thing. The naked. It's now. like yep. it's like let's show what these characters aren't like, even though you don't know what they are like yet. You know, because it's episode seven or something like. Yeah, that. you hardly and and those first few episodes of the end of Next Generation are not the best at establishing their characteristics. Exactly, especially for the also rands like Tasha Yar and mm-hmm. at that point Deanna Troy mm-hmm. and definitely Jordy LaForge. Yeah, Jordy would never do that, or would he? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. The character we know best is Wesley freaking Crusher. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think um, that's his middle name. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley Judd only knows for sure. Anyways, because they had that one thing in the game episode. <laughs> so and we're all jealous. It's like, damn, you got to kiss Ashley Judd. I know. And she's like, dang, I got to kill kiss Will Wheaton. <laughs> When you were describing the powers and you reminded me that she doesn't go invisible, she changes. I was like, oh, so she doesn't have invisible woman powers. She has Ant-Man powers. Yes. Well, I mean, I assume she could go the other direction too, or he, or whatever it is. Um, Just to dispute your synopsis slightly, they're in the hunting lodge, not because they're on the run, but that's just where they are living now. Oh. They hear about all this going on a while there. Oh, okay. And the thing starts tearing stuff up and throwing boar's heads or bear's heads out the window. So that was – um, one thing I thought about, you know, like when we start these podcast projects that I've done a couple times and it's like the one thing that's exciting about the idea of reading old stuff, is like, oh, I get to figure out how this happened or how that happened that I just take for granted, you know? And one mm-hmm. of the things I thought of for Fantastic Four was how do, how are they rich? You know, how do they make money? And so far I'm unsatisfied in that question because, you know, in the first issue they have an apartment or something. And this issue, they have their own personal hunting lodge. As far as I know, none of them work or do anything. Yeah. Uh, they, um, somehow they, even though they weren't authorized to take that mission into space, they knew about it and they had the like planning behind it and, and didn't get seems, fired. Yeah. And when we find out next issue, that they have the entire first five stories oh, of the skyscraper yes. renovated. Yes, maybe that's a better time. To I bring feel that like, up. Yeah. yeah, I feel like in this issue they're they're like living in a cabin while that's getting done. Yeah, and where does Reed? How does he afford all those pipes? You know, I don't know. So, <laughs> so I love how like the thing is is wearing a hat and sunglasses and a trench coat or a jacket with a high collar, like at this isolated cabin around his supposed friends. So even amongst yeah, his just, even me. amongst his own people, I mean, you could make fun of it as a plot hole, but I actually think it's more like even amongst his own, you know, the closest people he has right now, 
he he doesn't feel comfortable, mm-hmm. um, like just hanging out. Subconscious. Yeah, he doesn't feel. He's not like the thing from the 2015 movie. He walks around with you know no clothes on. He's just like you know trying to hide every little bit of his hideousness. Well, it's it's no wonder really because like he's sitting there raging about how he wants to fight and smash, and he doesn't want to be cooped up any longer. How would you like to be me? And Reed gives us the little you know recap of the origin, but then. He says, I can't punish the thing when the fault is mine. Johnny's response is, okay, forget him. Well, what and we also, Reed just and called the him the thing. the thing is right there behind him. Yeah. It's like, forget him, even though he's right there. Forget this guy whose life has been ruined. And you're right, Reed calls him a thing. Which, by the way, dang it, we forgot to talk about, like, <laughs> the whole naming thing in the first issue. I don't want to tread on it too much, but they named him the thing and everybody's just cool with that. But Mr. Fantastic named himself Mr. Fantastic. There's a whole like audio thing about how they're like arguing over how Reed gets Mr. I know. Fantastic. I know. And I'm so <laughs> going to post that on this episode's page. If you guys go to makearsmarvel.com, it's a Norm MacDonald uh, skit on one of his CDs. It's freaking hilarious. Just click right. play. We don't even need to talk about it anymore. You guys will love it if you haven't heard it. But anyway, back to Reed and Johnny being mean to the thing. They recap right. their origin again, which they're going to do a lot. It was a bi-monthly comic and it was brand new. So yeah. theoretically, people hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. And this is back when they cared about that sort of thing more. Um, I think there was like a rule, like this could be somebody's first issue. Always remember that. Mm-hmm. I don't think they flash back as much these days, but that's because everything's written for a trade. So the army attacks... And they're like, we're not going to fight the whole U.S. Army. We're just going to escape from you later. Yes. They're arrested for literally five minutes. So this is just like the first issue where they show off their powers and destroy New York City. There again, here's this little excuse to show off all their powers. So Stan is clearly loving, you know, coming up with some reason for them to all do something cool with their powers. Even if it seems like it's kind of, you know, a pointless couple pages. Yeah, and Jack Kirby gets to draw them all. And really, there's some cool stuff here. Like, Reed, his neck oozing out of the ribbon bowl is really kind of cool. I'm glad you said neck, because here's something else that I'd like to talk about. Um, Somewhere along the way in my adventures of reading comic books, uh, I read somewhere that you should never show Reed stretching his neck. Really? And it kind of makes sense to me, because the silliest power in the world is stretching, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It never looks cool. Even in the movies, they haven't made it look cool yet. Uh, and, it, and in The Flash right now, they're kind of commenting about how gross it is when Elongated Man stretches. At best, it's goofy. At worst, it's gross. And it's no it's no coincidence that you know characters like Plastic Man or Ralph Dibney, the Elongated Man, have stretchy powers because we're not supposed to take them seriously. They're comics. They're comic characters, right? Right. Comic relief characters. Reed here is a brilliant scientist – Leader of a team, you know, Ward Cleaver type guy mm, with the silly Ward Cleaver type guy. With, yes, with the silliest powers in the world. So one way to make him look less silly, I've read, is to not have him stretch his neck because that's just completely comical. Mm-hmm. So he should stretch by his waist. You know, he can stretch from anywhere. Why does he have to stretch by his neck? Right. Right. So I guess that's why you have all the shots of like his head and shoulders coming up with his torso being stretched from wherever. Right. So he looks more respectable. <laughs> so anyway, ever since I've read that, I'm always looking at artists and how they treat Reed. And so far, I think Kirby has only done the next stretch right here where he's trying to get through this loose rivet. Um, but I've seen other, like the ultimate Fantastic Four were completely disobeying that rule and having him stretch his neck all the time. And it was driving me crazy because I kind of agree with the rule. I think it looks better when he's 
got a normal neck. But anyway, that's just an right. opinion. Um, no, no, that's cool. That's, that's something to watch out for because I had never thought about it before. But I, you're right. When I think of Reed stretching, I definitely see a, a head and shoulders yes. shape. Um, the Torch's plan about <laughs> the rocket. Makes no sense. It seems like it's one of those ideas that seems to make sense on the surface until you start to think of the logical conclusions. Like, where is this actually going to go? You're going to go harass a military installation, like the the army people with the weapons and the guns, and you're going to mess it up? It's kind of like, it reminds me of some of the flat earth memes that are going around out there. Like, you read the meme, and it's first, it's like, I almost see how this would make sense to somebody, except that all of the high school level science that you have to not know about for this to make sense. <laughs> well, there's like that surface level sense, but also how do the, how does he even know that they're going to be there? Right. Um, and how does he know they're going to be there without the guy who's impersonating the human torch? Like him, if all four of them were in the car, wouldn't they just shrug and go, well, obviously that's not us. Cause we're right here. I'm going to go do this and hope that the plot is convenient. Oh, look, the plot was convenient. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly what happened. Yes. Maybe um, maybe Scroll Torch sees him instead of the others and calls bullshit. Like, maybe this actually all goes wrong. He gets out there and does this thing and Scroll Torch is like, dude. And yeah, so it, it could have gone so many different ways. Yeah. But anyway, it gets us to where we need to be, which is the Fantastic Four figure out where the scrolls are hiding out and come in and stomp them essentially Mm -hmm. um Um, see if you notice if you notice the first panel of the fantastic four fight backstory that's better than the cover this is a better image than the cover and it's the exact same idea but he did it better so like Mm -hmm. dang i guess for round two he's like i should change the camera angle and make it more dynamic and whatever anyway Sorry, Kirby. I'm not trying to slam you. I do love you, but yeah. And and Reed is menacing the scrolls with a gun. That seems unusual. Uh, yes, and so was Johnny. Or was he? Didn't I just see no, Johnny? I think Johnny had a flare gun. It? Oh, that's right. I forget about the flare gun. That flare gun is amazing. It just shows up everywhere, no matter where you shoot it. Um, right. Yeah, he is. He must have got the gun from their, uh, the scroll. Scroll dropped the gun, trying to tackle Invisible Woman, whose powers right now are literally to just turn invisible. Uh, but I guess Reed threatening with the gun isn't really that crazy of a thing because the ultimate nullifier is really just a fancy gun. Yeah, and they're not superheroes. Uh, right. At least in the Green Lantern, Superman, you know, Flash sense, I don't feel like. I feel like this is much more uh, – I'm trying to think of like a cool 50 sci-fi movie or something, you know, where the guy goes around smoking a pipe and they got to fight the living brain. And um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like those guys used guns. So it doesn't yeah. seem out of place at all that Reed would pick up a gun. I mean, it makes sense. Like something more noirish, but still with Flash Gordon bad guys in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. I get you. I get the I get the idea you're going for. Yeah. I don't think it exists. No. <laughs> Some <laughs> form or another. We should go back in time and fix that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what it is? Did yeah. you see? It was I don't know, it was an April Fool's gag or something, but somebody put out a whole bunch of like alleged artifacts from the mid sixties fantastic four film that was made, but never released. It no. was, it was all, it was an elaborate gag. Wow. But it was so well done that it, like, it makes you believe that there is this movie out there that you missed. Oh. And it had all these, you know, actors from the era. I don't know. 
I feel like that would have had the vibe of what you're talking about. Um, they also completely got me to believe that there was a <laughs> Doctor Who film made with the first two Doctors and the movie Doctor all in one film together. Wow. And I, I, I thought that actually existed for a while until I realized it was all a gag. <laughs> I'm so gullible. <laughs> Dang internet. Right? In that one time that DCComics.com put out an April Fool's gag, and Dave and I fell for it on the show, talking <laughs> about how Martha Wayne survived the shooting and went into witness protection and married a farmer <laughs> and then saved a baby. Man, that Grant Morrison's <laughs> crazy. Right? Anyways. Um, okay. So when they go up to the, the yeah. space. Are you ready to go up to the spaceship? Or yes, ready? let's go. I love this okay, part. So the notion of pretending to impersonating the scroll impersonators, that notion is brilliant. Yes. Like you go up there and you're pretending to be the people who are pretending to be you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then using cartoon drawings as a means of frightening the scroll captain is laughably stupid. Cartoon drawings from... I did get it right. Wow. Strange Tales and Journey into Mystery. Good call. Um, I thought that was – yes, I guess it's stupid on the part of the guy for believing it, but I did think it was funny that they kind of plugged themselves within themselves. Um, Yeah, I think those red uh, horned guys are actual monsters. I I really hope so. I didn't actually take the time to figure out if that was true, but it's like, God, I hope those actually were stories that happened because that's just so meta that they're just like – you know. They might all be, but I'm pretty sure I remember finding that the red monsters were. But it's possible that all three of those are, rec- are from recent issues. I hope they are. And I feel like I've seen this before somehow. Or maybe I'm thinking of like Coneheads or something, where like they tricked the bad guys into thinking Earth is more formidable than it really is. Mm-hmm. Maybe not before 1961. I mean, I've seen it before I read Fantastic Four number two, but I don't know. It's a trope from something. Well, to me, this is like the one big drawback of what is otherwise a pretty great second outing for the group is this, this, like, this guy just, I mean, should not believe that comic magazines are actual documents. Yes. Especially if his ship has, like, you know, the ability to take pictures or camera the, the Earth and he doesn't actually find anything like that. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said earlier, the whole thing with Ben turning back into a normal and then having a fight with the army, it seems to come out of nowhere and be useless. But it yeah. does give us like a really nice bit of poignancy right here at the end with Ben. Um, well, this is like interesting that this is not the first – this is the first time I think, but not going to be the last time that he just spontaneously turns human for five for seconds. For no reason. For five seconds. Yeah. So it's like it's giving – it's like – Man, Stan really wants to hate on the thing. It's like, let's not only make him miserable, but let's give him hope, you know, once an issue and then take it away, you know? Take it away. That's going to be part of his character. I love it. Just like stringing him along. Maybe you'll become real again. Probably not. And look at the pinup. Look how ugly he is in that pinup. Like we were saying before, he's much more a devolved monster than he becomes later. And it's like, it's like, Play and putty, yeah, and it's um, like an orange like clay reptile face. scales, yeah, orange reptile clay face, yeah. That mouth and the lopsided eyes and the really white—it's just atrocious. Yeah, the, um, yeah. So you can see so, why he's upset, and that's probably why he wears sunglasses because those eyes are really ugly. There's something else, or the they're lack lopsided of lopsided on the inside when he changes back to the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of lopsided there too. Yeah. 
He's a mashed potato monster with, with scales. So, yeah, the army challenges them and they say, look, you can arrest us, but take us back to our apartment. And when they open the door to the apartment, the scrolls come out in snake and monster form and attack. And the police go, oh, you guys weren't lying. Okay. <laughs> so now. Um, so let's talk about how many scrolls there are. Okay. You're going to say you're going to fight me on this? Well, look at this panel. It says the fourth one is on his way to another galaxy with his inv- invasion fleet. So somewhere. This is, again, just like the last issue where they said, where's the mole man? And he goes, oh, I just left him behind. And I feel like Jack Kirby just forgot to draw him. This one, it's like I, f- I think Jack Kirby forgot to draw four instead of three. And Stan's like, oh, we better address that. Hey, how many are there? Uh, one of them is going back to the galaxy, even though he was never on the ship with them. That I, I saw. agree that Stan is making up crap to cover for a possible art gaffe. But in-universe, Reed is lying out of his ass here. Because oh. we're going to find out about the fourth scroll when we get to the Kree scroll war. Oh, well, geez. How am I supposed to know that? Okay, you win. The- I know, I know. I only know it because I've read those issues of Avengers. Fine. But- as the, as the all-time-traveling John Wilson, you win this argument because I didn't go that far. <laughs> no, the, the fourth scroll lives on Earth and continues to, like, you know, pretend to be people. And he becomes a powerful politician by the time we get to, you know, Avengers 97 or whatever the Kree scroll war is. So what was the reason for Reed just lying about it and letting him get away with that? I don't know. Because, okay. like, I don't know why he... I don't know why he would lie about that here. They have the three scrolls, and he has a plan for the three scrolls. But then Reed is like, yeah, the fourth one's in another galaxy. So, um... Yeah, that really just threw me off. And then I went back and was, like, counting scrolls, and it's just like, this is not adding up. Oh, well, I give up. Yeah. But, um, having been... No. Yeah. They take the scrolls out and hypnotize them into being cows. I love Mm -hmm. this one scroll. We hate being scrolls. We'd rather be anything else. (laughs) It's just so sad. <laughs> poor, poor self-deprecating scrolls. And I don't know if they're like, if they continue to be like that. I know the Cree are very into being Cree. I assume the scrolls are very into being scrolls, but yeah, these guys are just like, oh, we hate being us. Maybe they got sent to Earth because they are like the worst scrolls ever. <laughs> yeah, they must like, be. The reason they're so small is because. Like they're yeah. the runts of the army. Like yeah. this is this is the 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 crap mission that the ship was sent on. And like, dude, we hate our lives. We hate our jobs. You want us to be cows? Great. We are cows. We're on the stupid planet we don't like. Our captain is a moron. He flunked out of the academy, so they put him on that ship to go to Earth. And he believes in comic books are real images. Real. And <laughs> comics are real. Yeah. So just let us um, be cows. So Reed can hypnotize people, apparently, and I put in my notes, scroll hamburger. I assume he thought the same thing. Uh, I was just wondering, like, if they die and when they die, do they revert back to their real form or do they stay cows? That's a good question. Um, Because even if they don't get turned into hamburger, at some point they will die. And is the farmer just going to be like, holy crap? Oh, we know the answer to this. Okay. uh, Secret Invasion. Okay. They kill a scroll that turns back into a scroll. That's how okay. they get their scrolls on the planet. So he didn't think that through. And also, I assume scroll lifespan is longer than a cow. So this farmer is going to just be like, what's with these three? There's something going on. <laughs> they're like 90 they're years old. They're grazing peacefully out in a pasture, but I don't think cows actually live in the wild very much. So this is definitely somebody's pasture that they own. Yeah, or the Fantastic Four owns a farm, because it seems like they can own anything. So, yeah, I don't know. 
This is a very bizarre en- ending, but kind of funny. It is. It is kind of funny. It's. I, I'm amused by the ending. Um, there's some odd choices kind of along the way with the comics and the random army and Ben and everything. But I think it's a thing like, how are we going to wrap this up? Okay, let's throw a couple of meats of thing in there, and then and then we're done. Um, but it's a pretty solid second issue. I enjoy this one a lot more than the first one. I would agree. Just only in that you know the first one, like we said, this doesn't really have much going on other than it's the first one. Um, the scrolls are just funny in this all around. Like their powers are funny. Their the way they cheat the powers, you know, are funny. Mm-hmm. The way they don't like each other or the, they don't like themselves are funny. They look funny, and then you know the captain was stupid, and they end up cows. Yeah, it's just kind of a not very cows. serious issue, but that's okay. Well, um, having been hunted down in their cabin, the Fantastic Four are going to relocate next issue, or at least before next issue. Um, and they're going to start going a bit more public with their faces and their powers, although not yet with their home. Because their home is still going to be a secret hideout, which is kind of weird. We'll talk about that more in the next issue. Um, but that's an hour. Should we, yeah. should we wrap this one up? We got two. That's pretty good. We got two. That's, and, you know, they're starters. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of yeah. starting meat. Like I think we talked Honestly, about before, by like you know the eighth appearance of Ant Man, we're going to have three things to say about it. So we might have only three things to say about the eighth appearance of Ant Man, whereas the Fantastic Four issue that month might be a lot more interesting. Right. So. Um, okay. Well, email is podcast at makearsmarvel dot com. Yes, and you can pretty much find anything you're looking for uh, at makearsmarvel dot com, including. The obvious uh, iTunes link or the RSS feed if you're not an Apple fan. Um, and there's a couple different ways, social media links you can follow us on, your choice of Google, Facebook, or Twitter. So just go to makearsmarvel.com and you'll find everything you need there if we did our jobs right, including how to write in and uh, you can see our show notes and all that fun stuff. Definitely listen to that Norm McDonald skit. I will post it. If you've never heard of it, you will die. It is hilarious. And several people have said that I should put these. We should put these things on YouTube. You ever heard of putting podcasts uh, on YouTube? Yeah, actually, I, I've listened to a few podcasts that also have a YouTube, but it's just an audio of their podcast. So we could do that. We could just throw the static image of yeah the the best of, of our, our faces of the episode. Our face? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do a, a face. My face with my neck stretched, and then I'll put little Photoshop rocks all over your face, and then we just need two more people. And that will be the, the still that they have to look at. <laughs> we'll get, um, how about your wife and, and Keenan or something like yeah, that? Yeah, can go. be Or two boys. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess to wrap it up, uh, until they actually do slaughter those scroll cows and turn them into hamburger and we all start eating scroll burgers. Make, make ours, ours marvel. marvel.